You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. to a special production by the Islanders Never Say Die podcast, where today we're going to be highlighting the unbelievable dynasty, the best dynasty in the history of the NHL, the early 1980 New York Islanders. I'm your host, TJ, and with me again, as always, is our NHL analyst and expert, the grumpy old man. They say there's no shame in his game because he's always the same. That's me. Now, grumpy, before we go back into yesteryear, where you absolutely love to thrive upon the unrivaled success of the early 80s Islanders franchise. We do want to go ahead and say this is we we have to give a big thank you there to DraftKings. Again, it wouldn't be possible there without them. Um, you know, if you ever are playing their fantasy sports in any capacity, I love playing it through DraftKings. Whether it's fantasy hockey, baseball, doesn't matter. It allows myself, and I know Grumpy even plays and participates a little bit too sometimes, uh, You know, to kind of go ahead and give us a little bit uh, kicks and laughs there to kind of put our uh, machismo there uh, on the test in our fantasy knowledge there on the test. I love DraftKings there, and I love fantasy sports. Make sure to head to DraftKings.com or use the DraftKings app and use the code THPN for great promos as well as incentives. I know grumpy old man and myself really do love DraftKings. Yeah, DraftKings, uh, you know, the thing about them is no matter what you want to bet, sports-wise, they'll cover it for you. It's like having your own bookie. Um, I was about to say, I know you've made jokes in the past. If there is Sam, if there is camel racing across the ocean and camel racing there in the Middle East, you bet that DraftKings in some capacity has a way to go ahead and gamble on that. I don't know about that. I don't know about gambling in other countries, but I do know, you know, if you want to gamble on golf or basketball or hockey or soccer, anything, football, uh, DraftKings has got you covered. That much I do know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I kind of want to dive in, Grump. The NHL playoffs are right around the corner. And again, this is going to be a podcast that's going to be around there for a while. We're launching and getting ready there for the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. And there's nothing better to do during that time period than to look back upon, again, that unrivaled success of the early 1980s New York Islanders. I don't think there will ever be another franchise or organization that ever wins 19 straight playoff series, ever. Yeah, and, you know, the whole thing was the Islanders could play any style that you wanted. That's what made them so special back then. You know, and really, they're underappreciated for as good as they were back then. You know, oh, the Islanders, yeah, they were great. But, oh, what about the Montreal dynasty or Edmonton dynasty? And they were great. I mean, you know, they were really good teams, but they never won 19 straight playoff series. Um, You know, Montreal was just prior to the Islanders. They'd won four in a row. And uh, the whole whole thing was, you know, they were the high-flying French-Canadian, Le Canadien, 
And, you know, they had Guy Lafleur on that team and Larry Robinson and Jacques Lemaire, Yvonne Cornway, Ken Dry. I mean, great, great, great teams. And they had the star power. And then after, you had Edmonton with Curry, uh, Messi, uh, Gretzky, um, you know, Grant Fuhrer, Paul Coffey, you know, another high-scoring team where, you know, they were just – they just played a certain style where the Islanders were able to beat both of those teams during their runs, uh, you know, because they could play that high-flying style if they had to, but then they could also play a grinded-out style. That's what – they were so well put together as a team by Bill Torrey, the general manager. Um, yeah, the architect. Yeah, that's right, the architect. And they were wonderfully coached. Al Arbor knew how to push every button on every single player, handled everybody differently, knew what made them, uh, you know, made them produce. Just, you know, one of the all-time great coaches as well. And, you know, I also feel, you know, if they were the Rangers, for instance, they'd probably be regarded as one of the greatest teams of all time because, you know, it's one of the original six from a big market. But the Islanders weren't. I mean, they were pretty much – like a suburban team, if you know what I mean. Uh, that's why the Stanley Cups mean so much to Long Islanders, honestly. Uh, that they were, they had them in the New Jersey Nets, I believe, were still there at the time. Those are the only pro sports franchises on Long Island, and you know, it was such, it was like, a, and it's just like today, a real family feel back then for the Islanders. I mean, the guys all lived in the community. You'd see them in the off seasons. And it was it was just fantastic. They were like they were like it was almost like a town team, uh, you know, as opposed to a big city team. And also the fact that, you know, hockey being Canada's national sport, I don't think they really wanted to give the Islanders their due. I really don't. And they and they probably still don't in some capacity. You know, I, I do understand that point. You also mentioned there how it's a, it's a hometown type of team. It, you don't get that corporate feel there from it as much. You still see it there today. I mean, you know, the Islanders, they do live still in the community. They still live in the suburban area. And you see all the time there, you know, when fans meet, you know, their favorite player out there in public, they make sure to post a little selfie in a picture like that. And, uh, you know, it, it always is nice to still have that feel there for the Islanders. Um, and you talked also about Al Arbor knew how to push everybody's buttons in a perfect sequence in order to maximize their production. That is what great coaches do. They understand who needs a carrot and who needs the whip and how to maximize that player's production as well as growth. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, but it doesn't start with Al Arbor. It starts with Bill Torrey, yeah. honestly. I mean, you want to if you want to really start how that dynasty came about, it was Bill Torrey. Uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this. There were four guys that they picked in the 1972 expansion draft that were on the cup winning team of 1980, the first team. Four guys. Think about that. I mean, that's like unheard of. It really is. It's not like today when you see, you know, uh, um, Vegas pick a bunch of guys who were really good players. You were getting the bottom of the barrel of the teams back then. It's not, it's not like it is now. I was about to say, look look at all those expansion drafts, even when it was like, hey, here's the National Predators. When you had an expansion draft before, they've revamped and remodeled things. Man, oh, man, you were destined to be a cellar dweller for years to come. Yeah, that's exactly right. But what what did Bill Torrey do? He built through the draft, right? Methodically building through the draft, getting Potvin, Trottier, Bossy, Gillies. I mean, Hall of Famers. I mean, and you don't. 
you don't do that every day, right? I mean, it was just an incredible job of drafting. And then he augments it with trades. I mean, and the Islanders had to go through some ups and downs before they became Stanley Cup champions. And I, I mentioned it many times on our podcast. The lowest point for me as an Islander fan was losing to Toronto in 1978. I mean, we were one of the better. I think we were maybe second best record in the league. Uh, and we just, you know, we were just missing something. I mean, a lot of people said, you know, the Islanders, they were called chokers before they won. If you can imagine, this group of players, this all-time group, they were considered chokers. Think, they about, to- think about how many players are there, like heralded, at, heralded as Hall of Fame caliber players there out there on the ice. And, uh, you know, choke artists, guys who couldn't go ahead and seal the deal. And I know you're going to bring it up, so I hate – I'm sorry I ran you off there a little bit, grumpy old man. It all started, though, with that trade for Butch Gorn. That completely changed things. Yes, but what started – here's the thing. Butch Goring was the final piece. He was absolutely the final piece, and what he brought to the team uh, was special because they were uh, – I, I have to go back, though. I have to go back to 78. Really, really good team, second best in the league, losing in the quarterfinals, which was the first round of the playoffs to the Islanders, the way they had it set up back then, losing in overtime to Toronto – and Lanny McDonald scoring. That was the lowest I've ever been as an Islander fan. I, I could not believe it because we were so good. But you know what we missed? We were getting banged around the ice a whole lot. We got out, out uh, toughed and out physical in that series. And that's why we lost. And, you know, then the next year, uh, the Rangers got hot. Before you get to the next year, I want to ask you a little about that. You say that was the worst you ever felt there as an Islander fan. I mean, was that just a general consensus at the time period? I mean, you know, how much energy was behind the franchise and the organization at that time? Well, we were heralded before their huge cup run. I'm just wondering, you know, at that time period, how much the fans heard, how many, you know, in the community, how much did you feel was like, holy crap, that was our chance. We had a golden opportunity. How many people shared those same feelings as you, Grumpy? Well, we were a really young team back then. Okay. And like a lot of young teams, you got to go through some hardship before before you wound up, you know, uh, winning the cup. And, and reaching there, that that prosperous time period for certain. And every single year, we'd made another step, another step, another step, another step. And we were real close. And now the team was really, really good. You could just see. And losing to Toronto, for me personally, it was devastating. Devastating. And it could have been my age at the time also, you know. I was a teenager. And to me, you know, you're really – I think you're really into sports when you're a teenager. And it was just – it was – for me, it was a crushing defeat, even worse than losing the next year to the Rangers. I mean, we lost to the Rangers in 1979. John Davidson stood on his head, and they beat us. And I'll never forget the picture after that series. You see Dennis Potvin on his knees on the ice, his head slumped down. And it was – I mean, we won President's Trophy that year. We were the best team in the league that year. And just to see us lose to the Rangers like that, uh, I, I thought we were going to win or at least give Montreal a real run for the money for the Cup. And uh, the Rangers wound up losing in five games. They won the first game and lost the rest. But, you know, that was a magical run for the Rangers. But another big defeat for the Islanders. And that's when it was, hey, you know what, maybe we need to break this team up. And that was all off season. That's what that's what the Islanders thought was going to happen. They thought they were going to break the team up. And you think about it, that's 
it's it's a it's a uh, franchise defining moment. Most teams do not have, I'll say the um, the gusto and the bravery to go ahead and do something like that. You come off a season where you win the President's Trophy, and, and you know you don't win the Stanley Cup that year, but you still have somewhat success there in the playoffs, right? You win the first round, then lose to the Rangers. Is that correct, Grumpy? Uh, yeah, no, that they got we got beat in the semifinals is where we got beat to the rain against the Rangers. Okay, so I mean, like again, you don't come away with what you're looking for there, playoff success wise, but you win the President's Trophy. You think you're heading in the right direction. So, what does a team do? What does Bill Tory do? He's proactive. Well, he pro- didn't. He did, no, he didn't do anything in the off season. Didn't. Well, I won't say that. He brought in Dave Longevin to play defense. Gordy Lane. Another physical because the Rangers kind of bullied them a little bit too. That was the thing. You know, the Islanders were soft, right? We were a soft team. That's what everyone was saying. So what do you do? We fortified the defensive end with a couple of physical players back there, which really helped. But we were still scuffling. The whole year we were scuffling. I think we only had 91 points in our first cup year. Uh, we certainly didn't win division. Uh, Philadelphia did. And uh, at the time, he finally made he made the trade for Butch Goring and – at the end, I think we went 8-0-4 the rest of the way, the last 12 games of the season. And you got to remember who he traded, Billy Harris, who was the first uh, Islander draft pick, the number one pick in the draft in 1972, Billy Harris. And Dave Lewis, who was a, he wound up uh, being a general manager uh, for Detroit and uh, you know a really good uh, front office man, but he was a really solid defensive defenseman. And he traded those two guys away for Butch Goring. And, you know, Dennis Potvin likes to tell the story how, you know, Goring would come in and, you know, he had to tell the players, says, you know, you guys don't realize how good you are. He saw how the Islanders were gripping their sticks so tight. You know, they were expected to be so good and they had all the talent, but, you know, they didn't have that confidence. And Butch Goring came in and kind of gave him that confidence, maybe gave him a new perspective on things. Bobby Nystrom tells a story on, you know, if he was struggling out there, Butch would put his hand on his back and say, don't worry, Bobby. He said, you're going to get him next time. And they, they to a man, said they really needed that. They needed that, that, that influence, someone who hadn't been with the team. you got to remember, most of these guys had been there the whole time. I mean, think about it. Over the four Stanley Cup runs, 16 guys played on all four teams. That's unheard of. And you think about it too, right? You mentioned, hey, he comes there from an outside organization. It's different. Then when you hear it there from your guys, your coach, hey, you're doing a great job. Hey, we're doing, you know, you kind of, it's hard to differentiate, you know, they're blowing smoke up my ass. What's really true? What's not? When you have a guy who comes there from the outside and he's able to give that unbiased third, you know, third person there uh, perspective. And he says, you guys really are much better than you really understand at this time period. Think about the weight it carries and think about the impact that Butch did have there in the locker room for certain. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and like I said, when you're with the same guys day after day, you maybe believe it, but you've all been in the same boat for so long that it's like, okay, you know, we've been here before. What's going to happen? What's going to go wrong? And you need some of that posit- positivity uh, that somebody from the outside brings, without a doubt. And you think about that too, the trade they made. If that's not a trade where you go ahead and win Stanley Cups years after, that's looked at as a bad trade for the Islanders. If the Islanders do not win Stanley Cups, because Butch Goring, all Islander fans love him. We love him as an announcer. We love him, I mean, like in a short stint there as a head coach. He's been an Islander through and through. 
He wasn't a guy necessarily that was tearing it up on the score sheets, though, Grumpy. No, no, without a doubt. And, you know, at the time of that trade, you know, who knows if Bill Torrey would have even made that deal if the Islanders had played well go- leading up to that trade deadline. I mean, they were 4-8-1 and one just before the trade down, and like I said, 8-0-4 oh, the rest of the way. And, you know, Denny Potvin often says, you know, he feels that perhaps the team lacked a little maturity, right? I mean, because they were all young guys, and they didn't have the confidence to use their skills. I mean, you know, and and when Butch came in, he kind of brought an attitude and infused confidence in them. Uh, you know, he was an experienced and mature guy, and he really he really helped them out. And like they say, the rest is history. And, you know, but they still had to, even that season, they had to overcome some hurdles to uh, to win that Stanley Cup. I was about to say, and when we were going there through that Stanley Cup, Grump, and that run, was there ever a time period where you thought, this may not happen. And also there to play devil's advocate. When did you think, yes, we are destined to win the Stanley cup this year. Okay. For me personally. And I guess was, like I said, when you're, when you're a younger person, you kind of look at things a little bit different from when you're older. Okay. I never thought they were going to lose. I I never thought they were going to lose. And even when they were, even then when they were scuffling, I never thought they were ever going to lose a game. I remember when we wound up losing, the cup final to uh, Edmonton uh, in 1984 that uh, I couldn't believe we lost to them. I really couldn't. And we were severely banged up. We really were. And going through all that. And I was still stunned that we had lost. I thought for certain we were going to win that fifth cup, but you know, it wasn't to be. And one other thing I failed to mention before, you know, they also got a boost um, with Kenny Morrow coming in after winning uh, the Olympic gold medal in Lake Placid for the the Miracle on Ice team. Yeah. He, he came right from there, and he jumped right into the lineup and was just a, a solid defensive defenseman, you know, as you could ever see. Came think in about, February. Think about that, too, right? Earlier on that year, he beats what at the time period was heralded as the best team on ice. That Soviet team was unbelievable. And, you know, you know we've, gone over that. we've gone over that, and I'm sure you've heard plenty of stories about the Miracle on Ice. Then months later, he wins the Stanley Cup. You want to talk about, as a young man, flying high. I don't think there's any better feeling you could have there after you've just won Olympic gold there with the United States in an unbelievable, unbelievable victory. Think about that. He wins the gold medal, and then he wins four straight Stanley Cups. I mean, (laughs) you know, do you ever think you're going to lose? You know, I mean, you're just used to success like that, right, eventually. And that's how it was with the Islanders, too. After that first year, you got to remember, they were had the most talented team in the league. They could do everything. They had they could they were great skaters. They had guys who could forecheck. They had guys who could play defense. They had guys who could snipe. They had guys who were aggressive along the walls. They had everything that a team needed. I mean, just phenomenal. But they needed that little push to get them over the top. I often compare – and we're going to find out about Tampa, but I compare them to the Islanders a lot, just with the amount of talent that they have, that they needed just something to push them over the top, like what happened last year. We'll see how it goes this year and in uh, ensuing years. But I saw a lot of the Islanders in Tampa. Well, think, right. think about that, right, Grump? You mentioned two years ago, Tampa goes out a first-round exit. They lose and get they, – did they get swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets? I can't remember. I know they lost. I believe they got swept after winning President's Trophy. Yeah. 
Yeah, they got swept there by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They didn't win the year before that, too, after having an unbelievable team and, and an unbelievable season also. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, wow, do they just not have what it takes in order to win a Stanley Cup? You know, sometimes that just happens with teams. They just don't have the it factor. They don't have the clutch factor there at the end of the season. And last year, they made a few moves there at the trade deadline in order to add a little bit more sandpaper and grit to their team. And they come and they win their first Stanley Cup. So it's definitely it's definitely going to be something you're looking and monitoring at, certainly. But the, that team in Tampa is unbelievably stout. And you think also about that run, too. They had injuries during that playoff run as well last season. Yeah. I mean, but that's what good teams do, right? I mean, and Tampa Bay is a really good team, but I don't want to talk too much about Tampa. I just want to draw that comparison with yeah. today and yesterday. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to guarantee you Tampa Bay is not going to win 19 straight playoff series. That is, You are never going to ever see that again. And people say, oh, you can never say never. Here's the thing. The difference back then was there was no free agency. That's what I'm saying. You had 16 guys who were on all four cup teams. That just doesn't happen anymore. Well, you because I'm sorry. Go ahead. With the salary cap and with free agency, when guys have to get paid, you got to let guys go that you don't want to necessarily. Uh, but back in the day, that was not the case. So that's I, I mean, that's why it's just so rare. And think about it. You realize that no team since the Islanders won four in a row have ever won more than two cups in a row. I, just I, think about that. I was about to say, you're very, very confident, and that's why I wanted to chime in there. You're very confident nobody's ever going to win 19 playoff series in a row again. How much would you be willing – what do you think the odds are on that? What do you think DraftKings is giving all the odds on something like that there, Grump? I don't know, but they'd have to be pretty astronomical because no one can do it this year, okay? <laughs> so, you know, if you can't bet that this year, you know, do you really want to bet on something? Like, let's say it's Tampa, right? So you want to bet something that's – uh, in essence, four years in the future. No, I'm just saying. You probably get pretty good odds. I was about to say, I'm sure you get great odds. And hey, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's something that's never going to be broken. I was just comparing it there, obviously for DraftKings purposes. Yeah, to me, that's a sucker bet though, because it's not going to happen. But see, hey, that's how DraftKings make money, right? Because think about it: if someone is going to make that bet, the odds are going to be big, but chances are they're never going to have to make a payout on that bet. I'm not at least during that person's lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I remember that first cup run and I remember uh, in the second round we had to play Boston and, you know, Boston had a better record than we did. Uh, so we, we were started on the road and uh, you know, the second game was an absolute bloodbath. I mean, you have to remember again uh, you know, when they Boston was a, the big bad Bruins, they were called. Okay. Um, and you have to remember, we got out physical against Toronto two years earlier. The Rangers were much more aggressive than we were in 1979. And, uh, you know, the Islanders to a man said, you know, we're not going to take that anymore. And they knew that they were going to have to match the physicality of the Bruins because the Bruins had the ability to bully people. They really did. I mean, and before that game, too, uh, you know, the Islanders won the first game two to one in overtime. Uh, Clark Gilly special, and you know, which would come to be. I'm going to throw some numbers at you later. I know I hate to throw numbers at you, but they were just fantastic in overtimes over this run as well. Um, but game two was just it was a why it was like a bench clearing brawl stuff 
I mean, all the way to end, like the, the end of the first period, you had Gillies had two fights with Terry O'Reilly. I mean, those were two battles. Gary Howitt, five foot eight, fighting Wayne Cashman twice in that game. Bobby Nystrom uh, had a fight with uh, John Wensick. Dwayne Sutter, you know, was battling Al Secord and Gordy Lane uh, squared off against, you know, a future Islander loser, Mike Milbury. Oh, I mean, but they were all, but seriously, those were all real tough, tough guys for Boston. I mean, that was there. They were there to intimidate and beat people up. I mean, but the, the marquee was Gillies against O'Reilly. Oh my gosh. What battles. It was like, it was like Muhammad Ali against Joe Frazier. You ever heard about those two guys, TJ? For certain, for certain, it's going to be a thriller in Manila. Anyway, you talk about that. You don't see hockey fights in that magnitude happen in playoff series anymore. I mean, maybe you'll see a fight here or there. I cannot remember the last playoff game I've seen with a multi or a two or three fight brawl throughout the time period of the game. You just don't see anything like that anymore. Yeah, well, hockey was a different game back then. Yeah. Okay, that's the whole thing. It was really a different game. I mean, if you think about it. All right, I'm just I, I'm just going to throw just a couple of numbers out at you because I, I just oh, – All good. Like, more numbers here, Grandpa. Yeah, that's okay. I just I, I just feel like I have to throw some numbers at you just for penalty minutes for that series. I mean, you had the Boston Bruins over a five-game series, five games, 209 penalty, penalty minutes. Think about that. And then you're, you had the Islanders had two, two the Islanders had 207 penalty minutes. I mean, you're at, you're at a little over 40 penalty minutes a game. Yeah, think about that. Of course, a lot of them were that game too, of course. But I mean, you know, they went out there and they said, you know, there's no way that they were going to let them get bullied. And, you know, that was the impetus for moving forward, right? We wound up winning that game, that series in five games. Three of the games went to overtime, though. And it became a it became a trend, right? Then the next series we played Buffalo. Buffalo was a finesse team, okay, and we wound up playing that style. Beat them in six. They had the second best record in the league that year, and we beat them. And then it was beating uh, the dreaded Philadelphia Flyers. And to me, that was, uh, I mean, that was the epitome of 1980, beating the Flyers. I hate the Flyers more than any team in any sport. I despise the Philadelphia Flyers. And it was just extra special that we beat them in the finals. When you talk about that, too, that sound clip, Tonelli to Nystrom, he scores, is recognized by all Islander fans. I don't care from young to old. If you witnessed the games or you didn't, you weren't even a fan, you weren't alive by then. That clip is known by all Islander fans. That gives me goosebumps every time. Any every time I hear it, I get goosebumps. I remember where I was. I remember exactly where I was sitting in my mom's house. I mean, like I said, I like I said, I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. Honestly, it was and that game, we had a four to two lead going into the third period, and I think the Islanders just kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, and the Flyers stormed back right at the end. And, you know, they tied it up at four. And to a man in the dressing room, they were saying, okay, who's going to score the game winner? Who's going to score the game winner? No one wanted to. You got to remember, this is game six. Nobody wanted to go back to Philadelphia and play that. Okay? I mean, 
The first game of the series, we beat them in overtime, four to three. Then we got stopped in Philadelphia, eight to three. Then we won the two games at home, and then we wound up getting beat back in Philadelphia, uh, you know, six to three. And it was like, oh boy, you know, we got to win, got to win game six. You don't want to go back to Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, amazing goal, amazing play. You know, Bobby Nystrom, it's people don't realize. Bobby Nystrom, he's Mr. Islander, right? Right, Bobby Nystrom's Mr. Islander. You realize, he's not even from Canada. He's from Sweden, but he's Mr. Islander. I mean, he never has to buy a drink on Long Island again. <laughs> no, for certain he doesn't. He's beloved by Islander. I'll be honest. Everybody that's part of the Islanders Mount Rushmore is beloved by all the fans. And it's and we'll talk and we'll liken it more to like what it looks like today for Islander fans. These people are cherished for what they brought. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And you know, just to just to once again pontificate just a little bit more on that series, you know, the Flyers, they were the Broad Street bullies, right? But battling and dealing and getting over the demons of the physical play that that they accomplished when they beat Boston, they were ready when they played Philadelphia. And how do you make a goon team pay when they want to try those uh, tactics and they get sent to the box? You got to score. You got to score. score He's got to score goals. And the Islanders scored 15 power play goals in that six-game series. Think about that. Wow. You're you're averaging averaging about two, two and a half, roughly about 2.4, two and a half goals there on a power play a game. That's right. Think about that, right? That's that's how you do it. But how can you do that? Because you have skill. Who can convert those chances? I mean, that's what we had. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. During the whole Islander run, you see we had four different Conn Smythe Trophy winners. First year was Trottier. Then was uh, – uh, second year was, I believe, Butch. Then uh, Butch Goring. And then Mike Bossy was the third. And then Billy Smith uh, when they beat Edmonton. And, you know, it just spoke to – it wasn't, you know, Wayne Gretzky, you know, and the Oilers. They were a team. Yes, we had Hall of Famers. Yes, we had great players. But different guys stepped up every single night. They were such a team. I mean, and that's – they epitomized the never say die attitude. I mean, that's why we named our podcast the Islanders Never Say Die podcast. That was that was the mentality that they had back there. Fort never lose. Because we were never beat back then in at the Coliseum. Never. I was about to say that the name of Ford Never Lose still rings true for the Islanders. Even this year, too. The unbelievable record at home at the Coliseum. The last year the Islanders will be playing in the Coliseum is this year. I know it looked like that a few years ago, but everything happened there. Barclays fell through, whatever. We played here. This is our last year at Ford Never Lose, the Coliseum. Uh the fans are absolutely unbelievably enthusiastic during those games. They have a very, very the, – the arena has a very, very low ceiling, which makes it a great atmosphere. I know that's what the new the new stadium at UBS is also going to be like there, grumpy old man. Um, I, is there anything else you want to touch on there, on that first cup? Well, like I said, that kind of sets you up for everything that follows. I mean – we won. We wound up going six and one in overtime games in that playoff in that playoff run. Think about that. Six out of seven games we win in overtime. The only one we lost, we lost one to Boston. Other than that, it was automatic. And these were the same guys who were called chokers just a year ago, 
right? They were called chokers, couldn't get the job done. And think about how many clutch, clutch, Bobby Nystrom, clutch, John Tanelli, Bossy, all clutch players. It's so rare to have that collection of a collection of players like that who have the clutch gene. It's it's not something that every player has, but we were filled with that. They grew, like I said, they grew up together. They knew what each other can do. They believed in one another. Bush, Butch uh, puts them over the top with his maturity, telling them how good they really are, and then the natural skills take over. And Butch often says that you know after that. You know, it was easy winning the other cups. And if you look at the numbers, it was. It was a breeze for them. And I'll tell you this, too. Once you win, and I always felt like this, when Butch came there, he showed the Islanders how talent, how talented they really were. It's like the floodgates opened. And, and for the years ensuing after that first Stanley Cup, and I, I use this analogy quite often, some teams go in there thinking and expecting to win every single game and to win every playoff series and to win every single Stanley Cup. It was an expectation. It wasn't like, hey, we're striving to do this. It was expected that they were going to win the Stanley Cup. Anything else was not a successful season. And, and that's, that's what they thought, honestly. You know, once they won that first one, it was like, you know, hey, we got there. We did it. And it carried over from year to year. Now they knew they could do it. And that's what it is with young teams. If you can get a team that wins when they're really young, like the Blackhawks did of just, you know, 10 years ago, right? They won. They were not expected to win and they wound up winning a cup. And all of a sudden they're like a mini dynasty uh, for a number of years, because if you can do that when you're really, really young, uh, it carries over when you're older, you're older teams, you know, hey, we're just going for one. But when you're young like that, it can really, uh, it can really lead to great success going forward, and it certainly did for us. Well, yeah, because you know, as your players are entering their prime, and you know, hopefully, you still have them on cap-friendly deals. Some of those younger players, you're able to go ahead and maximize it. But you know, older teams like that have a relatively finite window. I mean, that second Stanley Cup, bro. I know it's easy to say, looking back on it now, hey, the Islanders expected to win the Stanley Cup. That being said, though, I, as fans, I'm sure we everybody expected to win that Stanley Cup too. But were there any times where you were throughout that season had any doubt the Islanders were winning that second Stanley Cup? I didn't. I didn't. Like I said, it was probably an age thing too. But I just, I mean, you know, you got to remember, I used to watch all their games on WOR TV in New York, Channel Nine, and. You know, I, I couldn't wait to watch an Islander game. They were just so darn good. I mean, the second year, we only lost 18 games, right? I mean, we were first, uh, you know, first in uh, the Patrick division. And we were just, I mean, just fantastic. I mean, really, really a great, great team. I mean, we were we were best team in the league that year. I mean, we were. And we had the you know, we won the president. They didn't even name it the president's trophy back then. But we had the best record in the league. And we just, to me, we just rolled through the playoffs. I mean, we swept Toronto in the first round, played Edmonton, uh, beat them four to two. But I never really thought that they were competitive for us, really. Um, and then we swept the Rangers, uh, just blew them out four straight. And then Minnesota, the North Stars, they were no match. Uh, you know, we dispatched them in five games. And this team was, you know, everyone was in their prime right now. Everybody's in their prime. And we're just rolling. I mean, it was at the, the middle of that incredible run, uh, just phenomenal. 
honestly, just phenomenal. So if I'm thinking, and again, I'm trying to do some quick math in my head, Grom, but I might need you. I don't know if you have it pulled up. How many games did they actually lose in that entire Stanley Cup playoff? playoff Three. There? Three, Three games. games. Yep. We were uh, 15 and three. Wow. Yeah, like I said, uh, it, we were just fantastic. Just fantastic, honestly. I mean, the year, I mean, 1982 wasn't much different than either, was it, than Grump? No. Uh, but, okay, great teams have to overcome adversity, right? In the first in the first round, we were playing Pittsburgh, okay? And uh, it was in game, that's when it was uh, best of five. The first round was best of five. And the Islanders, uh, we won the first two games. I mean, blew out Pittsburgh, eight to one, seven to two. Then, uh, we go into Pittsburgh, we lose 2-1 to one in overtime, and then we get beat 5-2. And then in, uh, we have uh, game game five. And with like six minutes to go, we're down 3-1. to one. And, you know, they often tell a story. Tonelli, I think, took a penalty, and the guy, uh, the penalty box guy says to him, he says, well, you know, it's too bad you're going to lose this. We're not going to lose this game. Mike McEwen comes out, scores a goal, right? And then uh, we tie it up just like a couple of minutes later uh, on a beautiful goal from uh, from John Tanelli, right, with like two and a half minutes to go. And then six, seven minutes into the overtime period, John Tanelli again, okay? So we wound up winning that series. And they say a lot of times, you know, you have to overcome some adversity to uh, you know, get yourself over the top. And, you know, Potvin retells a story that, you know, how Arbor chewed them all out. After that, uh, after the loss to Pittsburgh in that second game, and after that, we were just off and running. I mean, you think about it. Okay, for the rest of that playoff run, we wound up beating the Rangers four to two, but that series wasn't close. And then we sweep the Quebec Nordiques four nothing, and then sweep sweep Vancouver four nothing. And it was interesting. The goalie for Vancouver was King Richard Brodeur, who was a former Islander draft pick. And uh, he had uh, was fantastic in the playoffs, but not enough for the Islanders. And I always, I'll always remember Mike Bossy scoring a goal when he's perpendicular to the ice. His feet weren't even on the ice, and he shot the puck and he scored. It was just a tremendous goal scorer's goal. And uh, like I said, just another tremendous playoff series. I want to talk. I want to talk also a little bit about that that uh, 1980, 1982 there cup. During the regular season, I don't know if you knew this here, Grump. We're going to talk also about numbers. They had a plus 135 goal differential. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, once again, we were best record in the league, best team in the league. Uh, you know, I mean, and it wasn't even really close. You know, oh, maybe one or two points. You know, that's what people, maybe one or two points. I mean, well, we won by eight points going away. We were 54, 16, and 10. Think about that. You only lose 16 games out of 80. Think about that. That's how good we were. Just spectacular. I mean, if then we're also kind of shifting gears here towards the end of that unbelievable dynasty, the fourth cup. Now, that year, the Islanders didn't win the President's Trophy like they did the prior two, didn't have the best record in hockey. It was a little bit more of a tumultuous season there, no grumpy. Yeah, we didn't even win division. Uh, no, the Flyers did. 
Philadelphia did, right? I mean, best Boston had the best record in the league, and then you had Edmonton and Philly, who had 106 points each, and then you know the Blackhawks had 104, uh, Montreal had 98, and then we were tied with uh, Minnesota for 96 points each. Okay, but what happens? Okay, we had a bunch of injuries that year, and here's the thing, right? Think about it. You played how many games in your first playoff run, right? You want to play in, uh, you know, all those extra games add up over time. Well, even right? look at it like this. Bare minimum, you were playing at least 15, 16 games every single year added on to the end of your schedule. While other teams are having a chance there to rest up, they're having a chance there to kind of regain and recoup and recover a little bit there. The Islanders are playing into, you know, into May. Every single year. And again, season starts back up there, October, really, for the most part. So you talk about it starts to build and it compounds on you a little bit. Well, right. I mean, exactly. You're you want they you want to playing like an extra season's worth of games over that uh four-year playoff run. Guys are starting to get a little bit older now. You know, you don't have that time to uh wind up uh you know healing up fully from your injuries. And, you know, as you get older, you're more prone to injury. But what's the one thing that you have? You have the experience and the know-how of, okay, what do we need to push through? When we don't think we can go any further, what can we do to overcome that? And sure enough, come playoff time, that muscle memory kicks in. The grit, the determination, the leadership, the camaraderie all kicks in at the same time. We beat Washington 3-1. to one. In the uh, in the first playoff round, then we beat the Rangers four to two, okay. And that was, I mean, that was a really really tough series. Also, I mean, the games look like they're blowouts, but that was a tough physical series. And then, dude, the Rangers just squeaked into the playoffs that year too. Yeah, but remember, they always play us tough. I mean, you know, that's a rivalry. That's a rivalry. And then, you know. Finally, we beat the Bruins, right? That was another one where, man, they I tell you what, they really beat on us. That was a really physical series. I mean, I remember, you know, it was kind of back and forth. Uh, we had a three to one lead. Uh, and then, you know, Boston blows us up five to one, and then we kill them eight to four. I mean, but by then we were hitting on all cylinders by then. And then uh, everyone was predicting, you know, Edmonton, Gretzky, oh, Edmonton's going to win the cup. It's all about Edmonton this year. No, because they didn't know what it took to win. And Gretzky always tells a story after they lost, and he walked by our dressing room, and nobody was celebrating. Everybody was dead tired, exhausted. You see the tape all over the place. And he realized that they were not ready to win a cup yet, that they had not paid. They didn't realize how hard it was to win a cup, what you had to put in to win a cup. And that's what led them onto their dynasty was seeing how that Islander dressing room looked after a victory. It looked like they had just lost, but they'd actually just won the cup. And if you think too about the unbelievable battles, you know, obviously the Islanders there were towards the end. I mean, they were getting up there in age a little bit there. You know, everybody was, you know, a little bit starting to exit their prime and they're battling it off against an Edmonton team that's got Gretzky, Curry, Messier. Coffee, as well as Fleur. So, I mean, like you talk about the unbelievable teams that were facing up. I mean, yeah. I mean, think, and they were young, and Edmonton was young. Okay, they had all grown up together. 
Okay. They had tremendous talent as well. I mean, they were a juggernaut without a doubt, but I firmly believe it. If we were playing in our prime and they were playing in their prime, they never would have beaten us because we would, we could, we could do things to stop them, stop their offense. They were not a great defensive team. They were not. They were a tremendous offensive team, but we had shut them down the year before, just shut them down totally. But the injuries that in uh, the 1984 Cup run uh, where we were going for five, we had just – it was a battle. That was a real slog for us also. I mean, really, really difficult. I mean, we did wind up winning the Patrick Division that year, but like I said, we were just – we were seriously banged up. I mean, Edmonton was by far the best team in the league. But like I said, I still thought that we were going to beat them, even with all the injuries we had. I mean, we, the series we had, the, I want to say, you know, we beat the Rangers in uh, the divisional semifinals 3-2, to two, and Kenny Morrow scored a goal in overtime, which is, I got to say, probably one of the top five playoff games I've ever seen. I mean, and him scoring that goal was it was just incredible. It was incredible. And I'm like, okay, we're off to the races. Um, and then we beat the Caps in five games. And then we played Montreal. And Montreal was really, really tough on us too. I mean, that was a real physical series also, as I remember. I mean, but I thought, okay, there's no way we're losing. I mean, those games were all pretty close. and But it took a physical toll on us. It really did. And then, like I said, against Edmonton, uh, we lost the first game one nothing, and then we beat them six to one. And I'm like, okay, this is it. We're ready to go. We're going to finish them off, and we just ran out of gas. And they beat us. Uh, the next two games, they beat us seven two, and the last game five to two, and that was the end of the dynasty. Uh, but just, I mean, what a run! What fantastic players we had. I mean, just. I, I can't even describe because you don't see it anymore. It's so rare to see something like that. I don't. I don't think you ever will see anything like that again. Obviously, free agency. You know, as much as we do love it, it's great there for the players. It, it prevents us from ever seeing anything of a dynasty of that nature ever again. And if there ever was a dynasty like that, comparable there to the Islanders over that four-year stretch, oh, it, I, you'd have to give it an immense amount of credit there, especially to earn this time period there with free agency. Um, and I'll tell you here, uh, I, I do want to go ahead and, and touch a little bit grumpy old man as well about some more intricate details there that Stanley cup run. But I do also just want to mention again, uh, it's a big thanks there to DraftKings who allow us to go ahead and have this uh, special, their promotional uh, Islanders dynasty podcast um, and grumpy old man. I, you know, I talked about it earlier. You love talking about the success there of this team, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to the post-Dynasty years. How was that? And, and, you know, obviously the Islanders didn't fall flat off the face of the earth or anything. It wasn't like, hey, you know, we went from this immense talent there to a cellar dweller overnight. No, no, without a doubt we didn't. But the whole thing was, you know, you just look at some of the age of the players, right? And – the, the, the injuries that they had year after year, playing all those extra rounds of the playoffs uh, every single year, uh, you know, it was tough. I mean, the next year we finished third in the Patrick division. I mean, we only had 86 points, and we wound up losing to the dreaded Flyers in the divisional finals. But, it, I mean, like I said, we were just so banged up at that point in time. 
some of the guys were uh, some of the guys were aging out. Some guys were let go. Just a boatload of injuries. And then uh, you know, Al Albert did the best he could, but it was what it was. And then you know, but you could see the writing on the wall. Honestly, I mean it, that run was over. I mean we were so great for so long. It was just tough. The following year, we lose in the first. We get swept by um, by Washington in the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, that was another year we came in third because Washington had come up now and Philadelphia was perennially good. I mean, just – just I mean, it just kind of is what it is. But, I mean, just the long-lasting effect of winning 19 straight playoff series. I mean, they cemented – Long Island – when people think Long Island sports – they don't think Long Island Nets. They think New York Islanders. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. They're the Islands team. They are the Long Island team. For certain. And I'll tell you this, too. You know, it's funny. It's almost like that, uh, again, as I mentioned before, that unrivaled success there that the Islanders dynasty had there in the early 80s. It's like every single Islander fan has paid for it ever since. And, you know, we we did an all right job there afterwards. I mean, we, we made the playoffs in and out. And I know, uh, was it 93 that Dale Hunter, that Dale Hunter hit there? Grumpy old man? Yes. yes. Okay. And yeah, yeah. 1993. And uh, that was the last time until just recently in 2020, the Islanders were even ever to an Eastern Conference Finals. So think about that. We went from a team that couldn't stop winning to a team that, was unbelievably unsuccessful. And it's like, yeah, you know, we, we, we paid for all the success in post. And it's now the Islanders are a team to where they've got a little bit more legitimacy there with Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz to a team that, you know, has made the playoffs there for two, about to be three seasons in a row. And has won a few playoff series, you know, at, we'll never get back to where that pinnacle was of the Islanders franchise. But, you know, we are on the perpetual drive for five at the moment. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's just funny. It's just funny. You know, I think about it. You know, I often make a statement on our podcast how, you know, players, once they hit 30, they don't age like wine. They age like vinegar. Um, and it's because they just – it's tough, tough. You look at Bossy, Trottier, Poffin lasted until he was 34, but Gillies, Bourne, you know, all these guys were, you know – they were in their, you know, their upper twenties, and playing that much playoff hockey year after year had to shorten their careers without a doubt. I mean, I know Trottier went on to win a couple more Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh in the Butch Goring type role, if you will. Um, you know, when Mario and uh, you know uh, Yager and Ron Francis and Kevin Stevens were there, and he was like the veteran who taught them how to win. So, I mean, I, it never bothered me when Pittsburgh won because Brian Trottier played for that team. You know, of course, when we played them in 93, I certainly wasn't rooting for him. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it was nice to see Brian have success after. And Mike Bossy's career ended, you know, not too not too long. By the time he was 30, 31 years old, uh, his career was over with the back injury. Uh, Potvin had a myriad of injuries that he played through his whole career. Um I mean, but it was, like I said, as a young man growing up, uh, the New York Islanders were, they were my team. And they were, like I said, Long Island's team. And it was a glorious time. I mean, 
I, I can't even, I can't even, I, I feel bad for you since you've never actually seen, had anything like that for as an Islander fan, but I'm just telling you, it's tremendous. I guess the only thing I could compare it to now would be like in football, the Patriots winning all those years in a row, all of those younger people, they're going to remember that the rest of their lives. And, and, and that, that's going to be the pinnacle too, right? And, and I will tell you one thing. It is fun to see the younger portions of this fan base really become enthused about this team. Because for years and years, we have been hideous. You look at the early 2000s, really dark time periods. And even you talk about this decade too, that, you know, from 2010 to 2020, again, marred with a lot of inconsistencies and uh, very, very rare moments of, of uh, happiness for Islander fans as a whole. And now that we've seen, okay, we're starting to establish ourselves into a team that we expect to consistently make the playoffs every single year. Now it's like, we need to worry about taking the next step into how can we become a team to where no longer is our goal to make the playoffs year in and year out. Our goal is to win the Stanley Cup on a year in year out basis. We need to make the next jump from being a playoff, a playoff caliber team to a Stanley Cup contender on a consistent basis. It's tough. It's hard. And there are a lot of teams out there that are extremely talented. And I will tell you this. We are not a team that has the unbelievable talent that some of these other teams have, like a Tampa Bay. We just don't have that at the moment. And uh, there's very few teams that have that type of talent. So uh, the teams that have that staying power are the teams like Tampa or Chicago back in the day, or Los Angeles when they had their run. Younger, a younger core who can grow together. And if you achieve that early success, you can carry that for a number of years. And that's what we did. I mean, unfortunately, our team now, the way it's built, too many veterans. I feel we're going to have to have a lot of turnover in the next few years. Uh, but, I mean, if we can fortify the Matt Barzells, the Noah Dobsons, the Oliver Wallstroms, the uh, Ilya Sorokins, um, you know, the Ryan Pulaks, uh, you know, that that's what we need to do. If we want to get to that level again, we have to fortify ourselves with young talent. We've got to build around the young pieces we have, have you, as you've mentioned. And again, it's one of those items to where the defense is stout. It is. And even, even, in, in, even in Bridgeport, the defense is still stout. You look at guys like Robin Sallow. You look at guys like Bodie Wild. You look at guys like Samuel Bolduck. Those are guys we expect to step in and be legitimate NHL top four NHL caliber defensemen on a team that already has defense as a priority and <laughs> they're successfully usually shut teams down. Now what's we're looking towards, how can we add some more offensive pop and offensive acumen? That's the biggest thing for the Islanders going forward. You know, long-term, we think we have the goalie issue settled there with Sorokin. The defense seems to be fixed. It seems to be fine. And again, Barry Trotz also is a big reason there for that. Now, how can we continually put up more goals on a year-in, year-out basis? That's what's going to elevate the Islanders to the next level. I really believe that. Well, see, that's the hardest thing to get for a team, though. And that's, if you ever notice, the teams that are dynasty-type teams, what do they all have in common? They can all score, okay? And when you have a team that is so talented that they can put up big numbers, what do you not want to do? Gosh, I don't want to subtract from that because, you know, scoring is so important. You see that, you know, you, you saw that with Tampa last year. You saw that with us, same thing. But at some point in time, okay, 
Maybe you can, and you saw it with Edmonton as well, right? And Montreal was the same way, you know, back in the day. They were. I remember, you know, until they got John Ferguson on that team years and years ago, they were getting beat up every year. They got him on there, and they put him on the first line left wing, and nobody messed with their skill guys anymore, and then they took off. I mean, sometimes it's not always about all scoring goals, but if you have a team that is able to put the puck in the net, it's so much easier. I'm not going to say to attain dynasty status, just too diff- it's really, really difficult, but to be a championship level team. If you have the scoring, you can add the smaller pieces to fortify your team, to give it the grit that's necessary to win a Stanley Cup. I still feel it's the toughest trophy to win in all the sports just because of the physical toll it takes over you over that six, eight, six, seven, eight-week period of time. And I'll tell you this much. The last team I could think about, that, and again, I wouldn't call them a dynasty, you know, borderline perhaps, the Los Angeles Kings. They were a team that didn't have – I mean, they, you think about the Kings back in the early, you know, 2012 and 2014 when they won their two Stanley Cups. You don't think – they were not a team that had unbelievable offensive te- power and an unbelievable offensive acumen. They were a team that structured themselves upon great defensive play, an excellent goaltender in Jonathan Quick, and they were a hard, hardened team as well. They wouldn't give an inch. They were physical when they needed to be, and they had that unbelievable collapsing style, and Quick always found a way to keep almost everything out of the net. Uh, and when they needed to score, they were able to. But, you know, that's the last team I think I could think about there that's won, you know, more than one Stanley Cup once in a blue moon um, that's had there that success, perennial success. That is a defensive-oriented team that was kind of offensively challenged at times. Yeah, but they had talent. They had offensive talent, too. And what, what put them up, right? They traded for Richards and Carter, right, the older veterans, and that kind of helped put them over the top. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. You have when you have the the young core, and you could bring in a couple of pieces that are veterans who still have something to give, that can put you over the top. I mean, but to me, the lasting legacy of the Islander teams of the '80s and actually throughout their whole uh, history as a franchise, blue collar. I mean, even when we were winning cups and scoring a bunch of goals, they were still a, they always did the hard work, and that has carried through till today. We're the same type team. It's always blue collar, hard work. That's, I mean, and that describes Long Island and the people of Long Island. It makes your fans unbelievably loyal and steadfast to where they will go to the ends of the earth to defend the team and the pride that is with the New York Islanders for certain. Again, like some of these other some of these other franchises, organizations, you might get a little bit more of, you know, a fair weather fan here or there. You will never find a fair weather fan and fair weather New York Islander fan. You will never find that grumpy. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, New York Islander fans. It's like, it's like the Islanders are their family. Honestly. I mean, that's what it's like when you're an Islander fan, you're an Islander fan for life. You really are. I mean, and it's true to this day. It's true to this day. I often say, you know, people ask, you know, who would you be most excited for? When, you know, when the Islanders win another Stanley Cup, and I know we will eventually win a Stanley Cup. And I always say the fans who've never seen it before, because I've been there. I've seen it. I know how special it is being from Long Island. I just know how special it is and what the team meant to the community and meant to the people on Long Island. And I would love to see people your age 
you know, uh, people who are in their 30s who've never seen a winner. And by I mean a winner, I mean Stanley Cup winner. I'd love to see them actually see a winner for the New York Islanders and to just celebrate because when you're a fan of a team that's been down for a long time and you stick with them, it's so much sweeter when they finally get over the hump and win a championship. It really is. When you see a team that's a perennial loser for years and years, rebuild successfully, and you've witnessed the lowest of lows, and then they're able to elevate themselves to the pinnacle, the peak, win a Stanley Cup. You're right. There is nothing more sweet than that. And that is what the Islanders fan base will have that feeling for all the younger fans out there. That's the feeling they're going to have. That's what's going to resonate with them because, you know, they've witnessed the lowest of lows. They've witnessed the dark times. Now it's time there for a Stanley Cup. I mean, like I said, I my wish for every Islander fan is to know where they are and to remember for the rest of their lives where they were, the split second, the day, the time of day, what you were wearing that day, what you did the rest of the day when the Islanders won a Stanley Cup. I still remember it. I remember exactly where I was. I remember what I was wearing. I remember what I did after we won the Cup. I remember the whole night. It was just fantastic. And I just wish that for every Islander fan to have that feeling because it's tremendous. It really is. Oh, grumpy. Wise words. And I'm glad you were able to come here and go ahead and, and to shed uh, some, of, uh, some of your thoughts there and reminisce a little bit upon the unbelievable dynasty that the New York Islanders had. Um, I want to thank you for being a part of this promotion, Grumpy Old Man. Well, my uh, uh, my pleasure as always, and thank you to DraftKings for, for sponsoring this, honestly. Um, I mean, really thanks to them. I mean, great job that they do. Oh, well, thank you, Grumpy. And, uh, you know, you can always go ahead and find myself and the Grumpy Old Man at the Islanders Never Say Die podcast. We'll retalk Islanders hockey twice a week during the season and the off season probably once a week, but twice a week during the season. And uh, we've got a great live stream format there where if you do have comments, you ever want to share there with grumpy old man or myself, you can do that. Or you can call in uh, fans. Do love that aspect. They're also the podcast. Um, you know, definitely a big thanks there to the hockey podcast network as well um, for putting this here together for us. But I do want to thank you one last time though. Thank you, and I want to say love and laughter to everyone who listen, and even those who don't, from TJ and the Grumpy Old Man.